0: Opere manum quotidiano of the daily manual labor. Idleness is an enemy to the soul, and hence, at certain seasons, the brethren ought to occupy themselves in the labor of their hands, and at others in holy reading. We think, therefore, that the times for each may be disposed as follows. From Pascha to the 1st of October, let them, in going from prime in the morning, labour at whatever is required of them until about the 4th hour. From the 4th hour until near the 6th, let them apply themselves to reading. And when they rise from table after the sixth hour, let them rest on their beds in perfect silence. Or, if any one perchance desire to read, let him do so in such a way as not to disturb anyone else. Let known be said in good time at about the middle of the eighth hour, and then let them again work at whatever has to be done until Vespers. And if the needs of the place, or their poverty, oblige them to labor themselves at gathering in the crops, let them not be saddened thereat, because then are they truly monks when they live by the labor of their hands, as did our fathers and the apostles. Yet, let all be done with moderation on account of the faint heart. But thou oh lord have mercy upon us. Amen. 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 Chapter 48 must be linked up with the preceding chapter, 47, in such wise that we have the three principal. Elements that make for a balanced Benedictine life. Chapter 47 treats of the work of God and Chapter 48 of manual labour and holy reading. So we have in these two chapters the three constitutive elements of Benedictine life. Idleness is an enemy to the soul. Saint Benedict begins with this overarching... Principle. There is nothing more demoralizing for a man and for a monk than to say, mm, what am I going to do now? Or what am I going to do today? Or what am I about? Have I anything to do? Uh, that sort of thing. I don't think threatens us as Silver sort of Stream. Uh, but it leads always to a profound dissatisfaction with life and to sadness and to various uh, sins. So, idleness is an enemy to the soul. We must therefore declare war on idleness. Hence, at certain seasons, meaning certain hours or times, the brethren ought to occupy themselves in the labor of their hands. This uh, labor of their hands refers, of course, to uh, the strenuous physical labor, such as removing the sod to prepare the ground for a new polytunnel. Uh, That's an example of strenuous manual labor. Uh, But it also... Extends to uh, certain things that we would perhaps put in the category of intellectual labour, uh, writing, um, working in the library. Uh, all such things also fall under the category of manual labour because they are distinct from holy reading. Uh, the brother who is uh, working uh, at the revision of a text, writing a text, correcting a text, preparing a conference, uh, writing an essay, uh, preparing something for publication. Uh, that brother is also uh, engaged in manual labor. Uh, manual because the hand is involved uh, in that sense. So manual labor mustn't have a take on a narrow uh, Meaning for us. Uh, it it goes from the back breaking labor of lifting the sod for a new polytunnel to the, uh, the labor of the brother in the library or the brother who's preparing the ordo or the brother who is um, uh, keeping the calendar uh, updated or answering guest house correspondence. All of these things come under the rubric of manual labor. Holy reading is quite another thing, because holy reading is in some way disinterested. Um, Behind all holy reading is the cry of the psalmist, It is thy face, O Lord, that I see. Hide not thy face. Uh, Whenever a monk opens a book, be it sacred scripture, or the Father's, or a commentary on sacred scripture, He's looking for the face of Christ shining through the lattice work of the text. It's the encounter with the bridegroom Christ. He's looking for the face of Christ. And on the face of Christ, he reads the secrets of his heart. So, holy reading is directly ordered to seeking God. This does not exclude study, study uh, for a, a particular end, but even such study is uh, a means uh, of seeking God. Uh, for the monk, all study uh, is a way of seeking God. And this is why we have the custom of beginning our Lectio Divina on our knees, of kissing the sacred page, of praying to the Holy Ghost, of seeking the intercession, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, all of these things invest our study, our reading uh, with this quality of seeking God. St. Benedict does not want this uh, division of the day into the Opus Dei, the manual labor and study to be left willy-nilly to the fancy of each of each brother. No, he legislates for it objectively, and so do we in our in our daily life. Have uh, specific times for certain things. There is as much uh, as much virtue is required to begin work punctually, as is required to end work punctually. So the beginning and the end of work are crucial moments and opportunities, really, for um, quitting oneself in order to go to God. So the beginning of work and the end of work. St. Benedict speaks first of the summer season, from Pascha to the 1st of October. And he says, Let them, in going from prime in the morning, labour add whatever is required of them until about the 4th hour. prime would have been at about 6 a.m. in St. Benedict's summer timetable. And so you see his monks working from about 6 in the morning until about 10 o'clock. And they stop work at 10 o'clock because it's too hot. That's the reason for that. And then from the 4th hour to near the 6th, almost 2 hours, let them apply themselves to reading, find a shady place, and apply themselves to reading. And when they rise from table after the sixth hour, Prandium being at noon, let them rest on their beds in perfect silence. Pausenti letti suis cum only silencio. It's a beautiful phrase. Anyone, if anyone perchance desired to read during that time of the uh, reposo, uh, let him do so in such a way as not to disturb anyone else. This because in St. Benedict's day, uh, it was custom to read aloud. And so a monk reading aloud could disturb his neighbor, and so such a monk was to go off to a a remote corner of the monastery, or find a shady tree and read quietly to himself. Here at Silver Stream I allow um, a a walk at that time of day for those who want it, but the conversation must not begin near the monastery, because that does disturb the brothers who are resting, and if there is a brother making a watch of adoration, the conversation often floats up through the windows into the oratory. I also have to mention, I, I, I called Father Sukar's attention to this yesterday, um, when we're upstairs, uh, conversations pass through the floor into the oratory. I, I once had to uh, uh, remind um, Brother Hildebrand of that because he was you know, conversing with his family, I believe, and we could hear the whole conversation in the oratory. So I, I reminded him of that. So please be attentive to that. Um, when we have the Bethlehem oratory, it would be very different. Because it will be an independent building, quite separate from the rest of the house. The silence would be perfect in the Bethlehem oratory because it will not be. There will be no adjacent rooms above it, or under it, or next to it. It will be just uh, an independent building attached to the other buildings, but independent. And so that will uh, provide us with the the silence required um, during the day in the oratory. But I would ask that we all be uh, aware and remain prudent and and attentive uh, when it comes to speaking upstairs. And even downstairs, um, one can see through the floorboards into the kitchen uh, from the scriptorium. Uh, and one can hear everything coming up from the kitchen, but there's nothing for it. I can't impose a monastic silence on the employees in the kitchen. Uh, but again, when we have the Bethlehem moratorium, that problem will be solved. Let noon be said in good time, at about the middle of the eighth hour, at half two, which is the very time we have Noam here. And then, let them again work at whatever has to be done until vespers. And and so there there are two periods of manual labour. In the summer the first, in the early morning hours, and the second, in the afternoon hours, when the sun begins to decline. And if the needs of the place or their poverty oblige them to labour themselves at gathering in the crops, let them not be saddened thereat. This uh, indicates that, in normal circumstances, the monks themselves would not gather in the crops. But uh, St. Benedict admits that it may be in certain places and circumstances necessary for the monks to go out and do this labor, and he sees this as a good thing. Because then are they truly monks when they live by the labor of their hands, as did our fathers, he's speaking of the monastic fathers, and the apostles, the uh, preoccupation of St. Benedict is, non quont let them not be saddened. And this runs through the whole rule. St. Benedict's concern that his monks not be saddened, that they not give in to gloom, that they not give in to discouragement, that they not uh, begin to see everything darkly, and fall into a kind of mortal pessimism, and uh, then into ascidia, and then into into, uh, non or that they not fall into tristitia, that terrible affliction uh, of the monk. Um, That would be a very interesting subject for Father Thomas to to treat uh, tristitia uh, and its relation to the vices uh, I'd be very interested in hearing a conference on, on sadness and even on the angelic doctors' uh, remedies uh, for for sadness and how he relates sadness to the vices and to the virtues. That would be very interesting. Um, yet let all be done with moderation on account of the faint-hearted. Omnia tamen mensurate fiat proter pusilanes. <laughs> Throughout the rule, this paternal solicitude for the pusillanimous, for the faint hearted, for those who are prone to discouragement, uh, those who are uh, physically weak or uh, uh, mentally fatigued. Uh, Saint Benedict has great concern and he's ready always to make adaptations in favor of. The faint hearted. Let all be done (coughs) with moderation. This is one of the phrases of the Holy Rule that ought to be written in letters of gold uh, in in some prominent place. Let all be done with moderation on account of the faint hearted. Today we have one of the very beautiful votive masses of the Passion of Our Lord, um, Father Subprior. Has been choosing some of the votive masses of the Passion and putting them on Fridays um, in this time after Pentecost. They were uh, originally assigned to the Fridays of Lent, well, really from Septuagesima mm. until, until uh, Passion Tide. Uh, but uh, we don't use them uh, in Septuagesima Tide and Lent. Because they would then deprive us of the very ancient um, uh, Septuagesimetide and Lenten Masses, uh, but they are uh, profitably used at other times during the year as votive Masses. And so today we will have the uh, votive Mass of the Prayer of Our Lord in the Garden. And I asked, um, this is the votive Mass of Gethsemane, if you will, and I'm uh, mindful of the sermon that I gave at the clothing of uh, Brother John Baptist on the mystery of Gethsemane in the life of the monk. So, um, I think that, Father, you're going to print out some mm-hmm. copies of this Mass so that you have the texts. But do take the time to ponder the texts of this votive Mass. Um, the collect, many of these Devotion Moderna kind of collects, are addressed not to the Father with all the sobriety of the Roman tradition, Deus qui, but are addressed to our Lord Jesus Christ so that the collect today begins Domini in Jesu Christi. Uh, and the, um, the petition, concedi propitius ut nos orationi semper intenti, grant us grace to lead, Father Knox, Monsignor Knox, translates, grant us grace to lead a life of constant prayer. It's a very beautiful collect, um, And the epistle speaks of the prayer of Christ, uh, who offered prayer and entreaty to God who could save him from death, not without a piercing cry, not without tears, yet with such piety as one him a hearing. This is the reference in the Epistle to the Hebrews to the prayer of our Lord in the garden. The gradual is the expression of the sentiments of the heart of Jesus in Gethsemane from Psalm 87 My heart is full of trouble, my life sinks. Um, and the, the Gospel is St. Luke's account of the agony in Gethsemane with that marvelous comforting detail that only St. Luke gives, Uh, and he had sight of an angel from heaven, confortanteum, comforting him. Uh, The Offertory is from Psalm 68, one of the great Passion Psalms placed in the mouth of Jesus. Um, The uh, secret refers to uh, the prayer of Gethsemane as a school of prayer for us. We who are schooled by thy divine instruction that we may devote ourselves to prayer. The communion, our Lord's own words, in Gethsemane, watch and pray. And uh, the post-communion asks that we may uh, receive the fruit of the prayer of our Lord in Gethsemane. We humbly beseech thee that by the virtue of of the prayer that I only begot himself. So I I do invite you to, to look carefully at that beautiful Mass.